This is a Discovery Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we invite you to find yourself in the bigger story. To find out more about what's going on in the life of the church, head to discoverychurch.com.au. Can you remember where you were when Princess Diana died? Where you were in that moment, of course, Mother Teresa, same day. These things, before we had the 24-hour news cycle that we have right now, where, you know, everything, any news gets beamed to your phone at the instant that it happens, and then you're constantly kind of, you know, searching through. I found out there's a term for that. It's called doom scrolling, by the way, when you go through and you just, you're just constantly re-updating your phone. I, like, that was, that was me. You know, like the last couple of years, doom scrolling, just like, just tell me another bit of bad news, more bad news, more bad news, more bad news. Before we had 24-hour news cycle, we were introduced to big events by these words. We interrupt this broadcast. And there is a special kind of anxiety that happens between those words and the next words. There is a special kind of feeling, a special doom, a special kind of anxiety that happens when somebody cuts into the TV that you're watching or the radio that you're listening to with those words, we interrupt this broadcast and you think, oh no, what's happened now? This is going to be bad. This is going to be full on. And now, today It is one of those days, Easter Sunday is a we interrupt this broadcast kind of day. And what I mean by that is this, the Easter Sunday message is not just simply the good part at the end, the part where the baddies lose and the goodies win, you know, the part where it's all okay in the end. You know, we we can kind of sometimes, I feel like, confine Easter Sunday to the oh, but it's all going to work out in the end, so it's going to be okay. We can never reduce Easter Sunday to a platitude, and yet I feel like sometimes that's what we do, and so today is all about interrupting your broadcast and interrupting my broadcast with the scandalous, unbelievable, earth-shattering, never-be-the-same-again story of Easter Sunday. Because if we reduce it and push it down to, oh, it's all going to be okay in the end. Oh, you've, you've scratched your knee, but it's okay. We've got a band-aid. You know, that kind of thing. Jesus died, but it's going to be all good because he rises again and there's a happy ending at the end of the story. I think we've missed it. Because what that does, those platitudes, what they do is they help us stay comfortable. Oh, phew. Jesus died, but he rose again, so it means that life's going to be normal, everything's going to be okay, and everything's going to stay the same. That's the opposite of the way that we should experience Easter Sunday. And so with the limited words that I have, the limited time that I have, and my limited ability in being able to explain it to you, I'm going to try... We're going to try to dive into Scripture together to see how much of a difference Easter Sunday makes for your life and for mine. Your body, your heart, your mind, your hands, 
may object. Because we want to stay the same and stay comfortable. And yet Easter Sunday is about introducing us to a whole new world. Let's find out how. In Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, that's Sunday for these people, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us? From the entrance of the tomb. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And Mark tells us it was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See, hit the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples that Peter and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. Let's think about these women for a moment. The ladies were on their way to the tomb. Easter, uh, this is Sunday morning. The sun had just come up. Sabbath had finished at at, uh, nightfall on the Saturday night, so the night before. So because they're not allowed to work or shop or do anything like that on the Sabbath, they would have waited till after it was dark. Sabbath had officially finished. They were able to go out and buy spices, go out and buy oil, all the things that they would need to anoint Jesus' body. Uh, They are making their way early Sunday morning to the tomb where Jesus was laid. They saw where he was laid because on Friday, Mark tells us that they were the only ones who saw where he was buried. They make their way to the tomb and they realize on the way, oh, we forgot the keys. As in, we're making our way to the tomb and they realize there's just three of us girls here. This tomb, this stone is huge. We forgot to bring someone along to help us take the stone away from the entrance. No, we definitely forgot the keys. So they're about to head back, but they get to the tomb, and to their surprise, they find the front door wide open. Somebody has already been there. The door is now wide open, a gaping hole into the tomb where Jesus was laid, and of course they move inside, and they find a young man dressed in white, dazzling, bright white clothes. Mark's way of saying this was an angel, this was no ordinary disciple in the tomb, sitting on the right side. It's a curious piece of detail that Mark would tell us that he was sitting on the right side, but it means that he had something important to say. Important people sat at the right side of any guest of honor, and so in the tomb they meet an angel who is sitting at the right side of where Jesus was. This is no ordinary disciple. And to their amazement, because 
as you would be and as I would be. I feel like on a Sunday morning when I was coming and expecting to wash down the dead body of my friend, and when I arrive, all of my spices and oils that I've bought have no meaning and no purpose anymore because the body's not there. And instead of meeting a dead body, I, in fact, I'm meeting a dazzling angel sitting in white robes who's telling me some things. Okay, I, can, I think we can let them off the hook for being a bit afraid. Like if it was you or me. And of course, I think Angel 101 training is you have to say, do not be afraid because everyone they meet is afraid. <laughs> and he tells them that. You know, you can sit, picture them sitting in the school. Okay, when you show up, people are going to be scared. So the first thing you're going to say is don't be afraid. This is exactly what he says. Entering the tomb, they, they see a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed. He said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. So we have the ladies, the angel, and now we have the command. The roadmap for a new beginning. He instructs them to inform the disciples of Jesus' resurrection. The angel tells them not to be afraid because Jesus has been risen from the dead. They must tell the other disciples and they must tell Peter that Jesus is going on ahead of them back to Galilee where he's going to meet them like he told them to. And so this story with the ladies and then the angel and then this command that has been given then abruptly ends at the verse, end of verse 8. And we have some postscript from verses 9 to 20 that's been added in by somebody else. We'll talk about that at the end. But the first thing we do when we read Scripture is we go, well, what, not just what does this mean for me now, but what did it mean to its original hearers? How would the original recipients of this letter have received this? And how would they have understood what was going on in this story in this moment? So how would they have understood it? How do people in AD 63, living in Rome, Gentile Christians who weren't familiar with Jewish heritage and Jewish history, this is who Mark's written to, by the way, AD, AD, AD uh, 63, heavily persecuted by the, Roman, by, the, by the Roman powers of the day, trying to live out their faith in an antagonistic uh, and atheistic world. How do they interpret what Mark's saying right here? Because that doesn't sound like anything like today, does it? We spoke a couple of weeks ago about a Christ theology rather than a worm theology or an everything is awesome theology. And in Christ's life, we see this happening. Conception, birth, growth, death, leading to resurrection, multiplication, and new life. So this now forms the background or the framework or the underbelly of the way that we understand life and life itself. We would understand firstly, Mark's readers would understand firstly that now death is not the end. Death is not the end. Death is just the beginning 
And I think there are parts of our lives where we know this. If I lose my keys, there's a chance in life that I'm going to find them again. My keys will be resurrected, right? There's a chance that if I, if I, if I lose my job, right, and that would be bad, but if I lost my job, there's a chance that I might be resurrected, that I might, have another, I might find a new job. There's a chance that I might lose a relationship. I lose a friend. There's a chance that I might get another, a new friend. I have a resurrected friend. I have a resurrected relationship. But outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the Jesus program, that's where the resurrections end. See, in the kingdom, if I lose my health, the resurrection gives me hope for healing now or eternity. If I lose my sight, the resurrection gives me hope that maybe I might see again now or that my spiritual eyes might be open to see what else that God is doing. Inside of the kingdom program, if I lose my life, my life, I die, I get walk outside and I get hit by a truck. I was about to say it's game over, but guess what? Inside of the kingdom program, it means that death is not the end. Come live in me. You know, this is amazing. The world cannot compute that. It is a hope that cannot be offered. We can talk about the little things, life, you know, keys, a job, a relationship. But what about your health? What about your future? What about death itself does not matter anymore because we have been given a gift. And that gift is that you and I who are in Christ will rise just as Christ rose. If you are a Christian, persecuted, AD 63, living in Rome with the heavy hand of the governor upon you, this is an important thing to note. This is an important detail to remember. That no matter how persecuted, how, um, how under the big powers you feel like you are, death is not the end. The other thing that they would have recognized is that Jesus is victorious, and he's victorious in a number of ways. One way is that he's victorious over sin, because Mark has just gone to great lengths from chapters 14, 15, and 16 to tell us all about what happened to Jesus and the sinful way that he was taken to the cross. He was betrayed by a close friend. He was... um, abused by the Jewish religious leaders. He was sold off to the Romans who could not find a charge against him and yet to appease a loud and noisy crowd was given up to death in ransom for an actual murderer. And yet, in the mind-bogglingly amazing, earth-shattering way that God does this, he uses all of those sinful acts as a counter-agent or an antidote to the actual sin itself. 
they become part of the program whereby Jesus saves the world. All of those delicious sins become the victory whereby Jesus overcomes my sin and yours. So if you're a Gentile Christian in AD 63, sitting in Rome, persecuted by Rome, to know that Jesus has power over the sin that you're experiencing right now, both outside of you and inside of you, that makes a difference. That's gospel. There's power over sin, but there's also power over death. And I think this is the part that we love, but this isn't just something for the future, this is something for now. Because when they arrive at the tomb and there's, Jesus isn't there, but there's a young, handsome angel dressed in white, I think that's good news in this story. The crucifixion itself felt final, and yet here we are. Some people will say, oh, it's, they knew this was a setup. They knew that there was going to be no body there. How would they have known that there was going to be no body there? They were walking to the grave with spices to anoint Jesus' body. They fully expected him to still be there. Why go to all that trouble? Why go to all that effort? They're making their way there going, oh gee, we forgot to bring someone who was going to take the stone away. They expected the stone to still be there. And yet, guess what? It's gone. So if you're a Christian in AD 63 under the heavy hand of Rome, to think to yourself, oh my gosh, I might even be killed for my faith. But the good news is that death is not the end and that Jesus is victorious. So the third thing that they would have realized is there is a command to stay faithful to the core. Hang in there is the way that we would say it. Hang in there. Hold on. Because if Jesus, if death is not the end and Jesus is victorious over both sin and death, it gives you and I the ability, the strength, the inspiration, the courage to hang in there. Hold on. Don't waver. Don't give up. Don't sell out. Hang in there. Keep on believing. Keep on hoping. Keep on trusting. Keep on Keep on believing that God is going to come through. Why? Because he did it in the most severe, serious, and earth-shattering way before, and he could do it again. So, if that's what the resurrection showed, the people in the Gospel of Mark, who it was being written to, what does it mean for us? I think the first thing that the resurrection shows us is the powerful stories of ordinary people. See what the angel says? He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Literally, here's where he was. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before him to Galilee, just as you will see him, 
you will see him just as uh, he told you. Now, these women who came to the tomb, their testimony would not stand up in a court of law in the ancient Near East. Their testimony is not valid by virtue of their occupation and their gender. And yet, God entrusts the witness of the resurrection to these, whose testimony would never, be, would never stand up, would never be valid, and yet they're the ones who were left to carry it. And we look to the gurus, and we look to the leaders, and we look to the teachers. Tell us about the resurrection. I think we need to start looking at the ordinary people who are going to be able to teach us what it means to follow after the risen Jesus. You have a story. I have a story. We all can testify to the good news of the resurrection of Jesus because he entrusts it to ordinary people, people like yourselves, people like me. So who are the ordinary people that I should be listening to in order to learn about following the risen Jesus? And what stories do I have to contribute? Selah. We also learn the merciful forgiveness of ordinary leaders. Where's that in the text, you're saying? Well, verse 7. Well, verse 6, he's not here, he's risen. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell disciples, oh, and Peter. It wasn't good enough for Peter to be included just with the rest of the disciples. Well, it was, you know, five seconds ago that Peter was denying Jesus three times after saying, I'm going to go all the way with you, even if we die. I'm going to go all the way. I'm with you, heart and soul. We're, we're, we're in it together. Bros for life, ride or die, all that stuff. He doesn't. He bails. And you can imagine Peter. Easter Sunday, Christmas, I'm Easter Sunday, Christmas. (laughs) Please, kind forgiveness for ordinary leaders. (laughs) Peter's messed up. Denied Jesus three times. Saturday has come and gone, the Sabbath has come and gone, and he's living with what he's done. I said I was going to go all the way, but I didn't. At the mere sign of being close to Jesus, I, I, I detached myself from him. And the three women come to, come to Peter and say, uh, Jesus wants to meet with you guys, he's, he's, he's alive and He wants to meet with you guys in in Galilee. And Peter said, yeah, great. I probably don't believe you, but... No, Peter, 
he asked specifically about you. He said, he pointed you out, Peter. And he wasn't just putting you in with everyone else, he asked specifically about you. So questions. In the light of the resurrection, who do I need to forgive? And what areas of my own life leads the grace of a second chance? And thirdly, we learn the quiet importance of ordinary places. I'm not meant to have favorites, but this might be my favorite. They're like, all my sermon points are like children. You don't have favorites, but I do. (laughs) You see where Jesus asks to meet them? Back at the boring, half-pagan, nowhere town of Galilee? (laughs) The horse you rode in on, where they met him at the beginning... Jesus says, I'm going to meet you back in Galilee, an ordinary nowhere town. We're going to take this back to the beginning, guys. I'm going to remind you of where this all started. And so there is a redemption of the unnamed, quiet, ordinary, nowhere places of our lives where Jesus wants to meet you and me. So what other places, spaces, and environments I've become over-familiar with? How might I inhabit the ordinary places in my life with resurrection power and possibilities? So, what now? Because if you're reading Mark Chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. This is a weird ending. Like, it's weird. None of us would finish a gospel like this. And they went out and fled, verse 8, from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. (laughs) You're like, so you just did exactly what the angel told, not told you to do. Like, you didn't follow the instructions. And of course, that didn't sit well with the people who were first reading this. So they added in verse 9 to 20 and gave a bit of a summary, and Jesus went there, and he did this, and he told them to do this, and he made, and they kind of cobbled together a little bit of a, a bits and pieces from all the other gospels and put it all together. There's a couple of reasons. We don't know why that Mark finished here. Maybe he finished here because the rest of it got lost. Maybe some people have said he died and so he couldn't finish it. You know, he died with the pen in his hand and he couldn't finish the gospel. But I think it was intentional. I think this is exactly where it needs to end. This needs to end with these frail, feeble women holding the secret to the little. Thanks for joining us on this Discovery Church podcast. 
Now go and find yourself in the bigger story.